you, band, and thank you, um, Gold Team, for that testimony. You know, I'm always so encouraged when I when I see um, parents with their kids going on missions, and so that was, that was just uh, so encouraging to hear Abigail, who's a sixth grader, give such a, a a mature testimony. Hey, if you've been coming out to Living Hope for uh, three months or less, you probably have not heard me preach. And in fact, you might have thought, who is the senior pastor? And, um, if, and, and, and you kind of guessed, well, that guy must be the senior pastor because of all the people who come on stage, I look closest to be looking like a senior citizen. And so it is true, I am the senior pastor. Um, I did have a heart attack uh, on about a month and a half, literally a heart attack, not just figuratively, but thanks to my wife, she uh, actually literally saved my life. Um, she used my, uh, my desire to work by saying, you know, I'll take you to work afterwards. Let me take you to the hospital. So I, I went and I now have three stents in my heart. And I am now living, thanks to my wife again, um, in a way that's healthier than ever before. I exercise almost every day. I eat certain foods that I never thought I would eat. When I saw other people eating those things, I go, you are fools. Why do you do that? I juice almost every morning. I, I actually literally put spinach in a blender and, and with other healthy things, and I drink it for breakfast. I've cut out things that I actually really like to eat. I, I don't eat red meat. I haven't eat, had chicken or fowl in a, a month. I don't, um, haven't had like coffee and, and processed sugar in about a month. So I, I, I'm hoping that I'll live longer because of my heart attack. So, but hey, I'm glad I can be here today to continue our series called Blessed Assurance. Uh, the series from the book of First John tackles 10 things that John wants Christians to know. Because oftentimes, when we are in our faith, there are times where we get confused as to what are the things that we can be sure of. And so Steve Bang, three weeks ago, began by saying that one of the things we can know for sure is that God revealed himself to us through a man, Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Chris Chi told us that we can be sure that we can have fellowship, a meaningful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you understand how significant those two truths are. Oftentimes, even as Christians, and you know, the new Star Wars um, trailer came out, we think of God much in the same way we think of the force in Star Wars. You know, there's this, this power out in the universe that battles the dark power and the good power is something we need to tap into. But, but the Jedi would not say, I have a personal relationship with the force. The force loves me. He doesn't say that. But the God that we have came in the form of Jesus Christ and we can have a personal relationship with him. Last week we learned from Cly, our youth director, that another thing that we can know is that we can strive to, to live a holy life, but it, it, it's not in a set of standards, but it is in likeness of Jesus Christ. And 
Here I am in the fourth part of this series, and I, I, and I might be biased, but I feel like I have the best one. Because that truth that John is trying to convey to us today in our passage is, I believe, the most relevant, most applicable, and, and that which is, is actionable, meaning something that we can hold on to and do. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 John, 1 John, and that's toward the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. And if you found 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, would you rise with me at the reading of God's Word? And I'm going to read short, two short passages from um, the passage that we're covering today. And I'll start from 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And this is the reading of God's Word. Beloved. I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And would you now forward to chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us, Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to you with our open Bibles, knowing that this is what you want us to know. We pray that it would not just be a ritual that we sit through. We, and we pray that it's not just an uh, intellectual exercise, but Lord, with our heart, knee bended, with a, no, a desire to obey, Lord, may we listen with our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk about the old commandment, the new commandment, and the inescapable command. The old commandment, the new commandment, and the inescapable command. He begins in chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment. That which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. He begins by saying that which I'm going to talk to you about today, that, which, that commandment that I want to talk to you about from chapters 2 through about chapter 4, is that which you, it's not novel and unique and different, but it's something that you've had from the beginning. And the commandment that we're talking about, obviously, is that of love. And in fact, from the beginning of the Old Testament, uh, the command to love had always been there. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, this is the part of the Jewish Shema, which is the prayer that Jews uh, would, would pray on a daily basis. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And in the Mosaic Law, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 you shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. So from the Old Testament, the command that is given to us is love God and love other people. Love your brothers. In in Matthew chapter 22, we find a lawyer, someone who is an expert in the law. And and the law was a complex thing for the Jews. Um, the, The Talmud, which is like a commentary of the Hebrew Bible, they list 613 basic laws uh, that the Jews have to keep. Um, in addition to those laws, there's a litany of other traditions that the Jews had to, to really uh, uphold. A, one of these lawyers was an expert, came to Jesus in Matthew 22 and asked him, we have all of these things, which is the most important? Can you summarize it for us? And in Matthew 22:37, and he, Jesus, said to the lawyer, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. Not second in importance, but it's like the flip side of the coin. It's like 1A and 1B. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You know, um, I, if you're here at church for the very first time and, um, and you think, you know, the Bible is so complex and so deep, how can I ever understand it? Jesus summarized it for you. Love. Love God and love others. How, do we, how are we supposed to make sense of all the complex Jewish laws in, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers? Um, Jesus says this in Romans, uh, uh, Paul says this in Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. How do you summarize the whole Bible? If you walk away today, And asking yourself the question, what is it that I learned? What is the one takeaway? And it is this. God commands you to love. God commands me to love. The apostle who who wrote the book of 1 John was known by historians as the apostle of love. He sometimes refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And, and when we look at the book of 1 John, we, we try to f- uh, figure out what the dominant theme is. What is his main message? And one of the ways, this is kind of a, like a, a cheat, cheating way of doing things. One of the ways you can figure out what the dominant theme of a book is, is do a, a thing called the word cloud. It's, it's a really simple exercise. You take all the words of the book put it into this word cloud generator that you can find online and see what words are mentioned the most, and it gives it to you in a graphic format. And when I did this in 1 John, and this is the result, the most dominant topic is that of God, and the second most dominant topic is that of what? Love, right? So from chapters about 2 through 4, John is encouraging us, challenging us, um, urging us to love. But... But when John said this is not a new commandment, but it is an old commandment, 
He's not, I don't think, simply talking about old as in Old Testament, but old as in ancient, from the beginning of time, from the moment when humans walked on earth. Listen, in almost all philosophies, in almost all civilizations, in almost all religions, there is a command to love. Um, the ancient religious figure, uh, Buddha, wrote, love the whole world as a mother loves her only child. Uh, the, the well-respected and known uh, Hindu, uh, Muhammad Gandhi, said, when I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love has always won. One of the philosophers who really shaped the thoughts of Western culture, Socrates, once wrote, those who are the hardest to love need it the most. Uh, the, the philosopher who shaped the thoughts of Eastern culture, that of Confucius, wrote, love others as you would love yourself, judge others as you would judge yourself, cherish others as you would cherish yourself. The, the modern uh, influencer of thought, uh, the, the, uh, the rock and roller Jimi Hendrix once said, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And as I was growing up, one of the dominant influencers of our thought uh, was that of the Beatles. And they were known for this one song among many, and the song is, All You Need Is Love, right? Isn't it interesting that if you peer into almost any civilization, if you listen to any philosopher, any uh, religious leader, there's something in there that teaches us to love. That's why it's called the royal commandment. Um, it, is, it is something that, is, that, it, that has always existed. And, there's, and we may sometimes ask ourselves the question, when the scripture tells us to love one another, is it merely copying what culture, other religion, other philosophers have taught and I think that's a, a, a poor way of looking at it. If from the beginning of time, in almost any civilization, uh, in almost any line of teaching and thought, there's this thread that says to human beings, love one another. Love your neighbor. If that is true, I would contend with you the reason why we find it not only in the Christian faith, but in almost all other teachings and thoughts and cultures, is not because... Christianity is copying them, but rather that from the beginning of humanity, that is an innate urge that's, that's been a part of humanity. That from Adam and Eve, from the earliest civilization, there's something inside of human beings that says we should love one another, but at the same time, we don't love one another. Now, let me ask you this question. If, if all other religions, if all other philosophies, even the popularist culturists, even the rock and roll uh, lyricists will tell us to love, and at the same time we say that the Christian faith stands above all of those other philosophers and thinkers and, and artists by saying that, that really um, God came in the form of Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with him, 
and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through him. If we say all of that and we say that we're Christians, how is our love supposed to differ from that of the world? Okay? Do you understand my question? If the world says you should love, but we say, no, no, we have a relationship with God, and we also know we ought to love, how is our love supposed to be different from that of the world? And I'll give you a partial answer. The partial answer is this, that as Christians, those who claim to know God and have a relationship with God, that the love that we have should be at least no less than the world's. That as Christians, the love that we, uh, we display to others should be at least no worse than that of the world. That's a really low standard. When John, this apostle of love, was following Jesus around, there's something that Jesus said that John recorded and we find in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By this, by this you others will know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. By this, the others will know that I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he does not say, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have great arguments. He does not say that all men will know that you are my disciples if you have an amazing testimony. He does not say that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have great apologetics. He does not say that all men will know you are my disciples if you, are, are, if you fight culture or really involved at church. But this is what he says. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love. For one another. What Jesus is saying is this that love is our greatest testimony, love is our greatest argument, love is the best way to counter culture. And unfortunately, Christians, we sometimes get it all upside down. When people uh, view Christians, when the world sees us, they should say, well, I don't agree with their uh, beliefs, but I see them as people who love. John MacArthur in his commentary says this, that our ability to love should be the barometer of our faith. That, that our, our love should show to others and ourselves that we really are followers of Jesus Christ. And this is the old commandment that we've had. But John continues in verse 8. He says, chapter 2, At the same time, not only is it an old commandment, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. How is it new? Which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. <clears throat> he says um, it is an, the, the command to love is an old commandment, but it is also a new commandment. How is it new? And listen carefully in verse 8. 
that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Who is him? It is Jesus Christ. And when we flip over to chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, by this we know love. So it is not something we haven't known, but there's a new revelation of an aspect of love. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. Love is new through Jesus Christ. It is a command that we've had before Christ, but it is new through Christ. How is it new? First of all, there's never been such an example uh, of love than Jesus, that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a new example. Now, now there's always been an, an examples, models of love. A mother loving a child, a, 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 a man pursuing a, the love of his life, a loyal son uh, being loving or honoring his aging parents. But there's never been an example of love like that of Jesus Christ, and this is why it's unique and different. Okay? Any human love is, is in some way defective. Okay? Human love is somewhat defective. A man pursues a woman partially to gain something out of it. A, a mother loves a child because, well, the child is just adorable. A, a, a son um, is loyal to his parent because of all that he has received. Uh, human love, in fact, when culture, when philosophers talk about love, it is almost always a conditional love. And culture finds people that we should be loving toward and find those who it is okay not to be loving toward. Civilizations uh, in, in wholesale have said, you need to love, but this particular ethnic group, you don't have to love. You can enslave them or genocide them. Cultures have said, you need to love uh, others except those who are unlovable, or those who disgust me, those who are enemies. Our, our culture says we need to love and respect others except those who are unborn, those we don't have to love. Uh, civilizations have said we need to love, but only those who are lovable, those who bring something to us, those who, have, who, who, those who will give something to us in the future. But Christ was different. He was the only one who ever existed who was perfect and sinless. And he came down and to those who, was, who were marginalized, those who were enemies, those who were ungrateful, he gave of himself fully. He, he put away that which none of us even uh, come near toward. And he, he put away his godhood, his perfection, in order not only to become a human being, but to die shamefully on the cross. The world has never seen such an example of love. That is how this love is new. And the, the second part of it is this. Jesus was not only an example of love, but he was an expression of love. All of us have experienced love of some sort. We've, it may not be perfect, but we've all experienced some sort of a love. Maybe it's a storge love from a family member. Maybe it's an heiress love from a lover. Or maybe it's a Philadelphia love uh, from a brother, uh, Philo's love from a, a friend. But 
you have never experienced the kind of perfect love that Jesus loves you with. I, I don't know what is a, an expression of love that you've experienced in your lifetime that you thought that is the highest form of love, an agape love, an unconditional love. If I had to think about uh, the most unconditional expression of love that maybe I have experienced in my lifetime, there's probably many, but the one that comes to my mind happened when I was a senior in high school. I was a, um, a, a senior at Arcadia High School. You know, it was a middle-upper-class neighborhood. I was one of the few Asians in an all-white neighborhood. Back then, it was, now it's all Asians with a few whites, but back then it was different. And my older brother had a car that he deeply liked a lot. Um, he had a Volkswagen Scirocco, which was kind of a sporty car. It's a stick shift. It was a very cool car. And in, in my senior year, he decided, without my prompting or asking, without my parents telling him that, you know, he wants his younger brother to have a car in his senior year. So he, he brought home the Scirocco and says, you know, Steve, I want you to use this for your senior year. And he got himself a motorcycle, which I don't know what came first, but he, he got himself a motorcycle and he was driving that thing at UCLA. And I remember, um, you know, me being a young boy, I, I would drive this, my brother's car around and I would run out of gas and just leave it out in the street at times. I, I don't remember ever getting an oil change on the car. I did not know what an oil change was. I, I thrashed the car, but I drove it. And then um, I remember one time, uh, there was a period of, of, of like over a month, my older brother didn't come home and I was just, we were kind of wondering why. And when he came home um, after a long kind of an absence, I, I was looking at him. I noticed like he had a scar on his forehead. And I pressed him, hey, where'd you get that scar? Where did you get that injury? And he just, he, he, he refused to answer. And I have a feeling that he got into a motorcycle accident. And he scraped up his face, and he didn't want to come home and to show that to his family. Um, I don't know if my brother enjoyed riding a motorcycle more than having a sports car, but I have a feeling that he gave that car to his younger brother so that his younger brother could have a car in his senior year. And, and the scars was a testament to that. That was an expression of love that I experienced at one point in time. And I'm sure we all have stories. But can you imagine Jesus looking down at us um, and we were not lovable? We were not grateful? He calls us enemies. We were unrighteous, undeserving. And he says to, you, to me, Steve, let me take all that you've done, all that you've done wrong, all your filth, all of your guilt. Let me take the penalty of all that junk and pour it upon myself proactively, preemptively. Not because you deserve it, but because I simply chose to love you. What is new about love? It is that Jesus express that love to you and me. That's what's new. But here I want to 
take a little bit of time because I know that uh, if you've been in the church a long time or even if this is your first time at church, the concept, the command to love is something that you know. So intellectually, you know you should love. But in some ways, you have rationalized. We have found reasons why we should not love. And I'm going to give you five principles of love or five things that love is and five things that love isn't. First, love is, a, is the commandment, not a commandment. Love is the commandment and not a commandment. You know, as Christians, sometimes, and in fact, the longer you're in the church, you get to know the Bible more, and there are more things to know and to do. Go, oh, I need to have devotionals. I need to serve. I need to, I, I need to tithe. I need to not like, get, you know, like, get drunk or do drugs. I need to uh, wait until I get married in order to have sex. I need to, and you have all these litany of things, all of these commandments, and you say to yourself, oh, the, 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 the Christian faith is filled with commandments and loving your neighbor is one of the commandments. But as Jesus said, it is not a commandment, but it is the commandment that ties all of them together. Why is it that, you do, that God commands us not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to murder? It is an expression of love. Love is the overarching commandment. Why is it that a parent changes a diaper, feeds uh, their, their baby, uh, their formula, um, uh, gives the child time out, even if the child is weeping? Why does a parent do that? Is it because the parent wants to you know, grow up, get a high-paying job, and take care of me in my retirement? Uh, is it because, well, if I don't feed you, social services will come and, and imprison me? Or is it because, well, um, you, know, you know, there's something intrinsically that I'm getting behind, uh, out of it? Uh, in a, and all, the, all of those things could be true, but the, the, the bottom motivation that a, that a parent would love a child is because the parent wants to, even if he doesn't feel it at the moment. You know, parents, let's be honest, right? You don't always like your children, but you love your children. In the same way, love is the commandment, not a, a commandment. Secondly, love is timeless, not seasonal. Love is timeless, not seasonal. It has, that, com- that command has not only existed from the beginning of time, but listen, it has existed for you from the moment you became a child of God. We cannot say, well, I am just a new believer. I will wait until I become a mature Christian in order to love. You cannot say, well, I'm still in college. I'll start loving people once I graduate. You cannot say, well, my kids are too young for me to love other people. Let me get them out of my house, and then I will love. Love is not seasonal. We cannot say that, that when something happens in another season of my life, we cannot abdicate our responsibility to love. At different seasons of our life, loving my neighbor may look different, but that must always be a part of who we are. Third, love is a command, not a suggestion. Love is a command, not a suggestion. You know, one of the things that we do at church, um, you know, and, and today Ben come up, came up here and gave, like, hey, you know, go, no, 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 grow, uh, 
harvest night and all, all of these announcements. And later on, we will say, we will make an announcement about a step, whether it be to China or Kyrgyzstan. And what we would say, we would sit and listen and to those announcements, that plea and say, well, okay, that's applicable to me and that's not. So when an announcement is given that we are sending a team to Honduras next spring, and it will be a, a medical team, if you're, if you're a dentist or optometrist or somewhere along that line, um, you know, that's, your, that's your call. And, and we may sit in the audience and say, well, that's for them and not for me. And in some way, that makes sense. In Acts chapter 13, the leaders were praying uh, in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit says, set me apart two people to send. And so, uh, so, they, so the Holy Spirit set apart Saul and Barnabas to send them to do the work of the gospel. But the rest stayed. And sometimes we look at certain commandments in the Bible and say, well, that is a suggestion for some, a commission, an assignment for some, but not for all. The command to love is universal. It's for all of us. We cannot point our fingers and say that's for them and not for me. Fourthly, love is a spiritual fruit, not a spiritual gift. Love is a spiritual fruit and not a spiritual gift. If you're new to the church, this may make no sense to you. But if you've been in the church a long time, this will make a little bit more sense to you. If someone were to ask you, what are your spiritual gifts? You might say, according to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12 and others, well, I have the gift. And some people ask me what my spiritual gifts are. I say, well, you know, I'm, you know, administration. I'm, you know, I like organizing things. I like my Excel files. I like my ducks in a row. Uh, I might say, well, um, I think I, I might have the gift of communication or so. There are certain things. That God said, I, the Holy Spirit will make you good at certain things so that you can uh, do good for the body. Okay? And, and he also talks about certain offices, whether you're a teacher, a healer, an administrator, etc. And so God gives certain gifts and abilities, and God places people in certain roles. And also, you know, we're in a culture that loves to talk about ourselves. So what are you, I am, you know, what is your Meyer Briggs and you would say I am uh, EJT, whatever that, those things are, right? And so what we do is we personalize uh, what God wants us to do, who we are, and say, you know, I think what I need to do is this, and, but I don't need to do that. For example, you, you know, you might say my Myers Briggs says I am a T as opposed to an F. Am I getting that right? Right? I am a thinker as opposed to a feeler. And so because I'm a thinker, when someone comes to me with a problem, I think you're an idiot. (laughs) The feeler over here says, you can have empathy for this person and you can help them. That's not my gift. That's not my temperament. That's not my calling. So what we do is we rationalize, we excuse ourselves into meeting the needs of those around us because I'm not built that way. When in the book of Galatians, Paul says these are the the fruit, the deeds of unrighteousness, these are the flesh, and then he starts to talk about the fruit of the spirit 
Meaning that if you spend time with the Spirit, if you spend time with Jesus Christ, if you're walking, abiding in Jesus Christ, what will naturally start to appear in your life are not the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And the first fruit that is mentioned is that of what? Love. Love is something Christians are all supposed to naturally exude. We cannot say, that's not my temperament. That's not how I am built. Finally, love is an action, not an emotion. Love is an action, not an emotion. One of the unfortunate things about the, the modern English language is that we've ruined words. And in the Greek, there are many, many words for the concept of love. Uh, the English language uses love for everything. So you take your brand new baby child and say, I love my baby. And then you go and say, wow, we're having street tacos tonight. I love tacos. We're saying that, that I love tacos in the same way that we love our baby. That's ridiculous, but we use the same word, right? When we use the term love, what are we normally saying? Uh, listen, this is, this is how it's used, and, and, and this, this will make sense. A husband um, will, will, will take his wife of many years and, and say to her, I no longer love you. What does he mean when he says that? Or if she says, I, 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 I had it with you, I don't love you. What is she saying? The term love, at that moment, it's being used of a sentiment, an emotion. Saying, I don't feel the warm and fuzzies for you right now. So what we do in our modern mindset is we've taken this this command to love from the scriptures and from, from the ancients and we've all kind of mixed it up with the romantic love that this culture says and says unless I feel this romantic warm and fuzzies unless I feel the sentiment from you I don't love you what the scripture says is love is not merely a sentiment but it's an action it's a commitment in fact let's go back to chapter 3 Verses um, 16 on. But we know, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If, any, if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? So if, if God places someone in your life that has a need, and it could be any need. And you close your heart against him. Is that love? In verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It is not fully love unless, as Jesus Christ did, sacrificed himself for the sake of the other person. Love it's not love if it just stays at sentiment. And James talks about this. If a brother comes in hungry and you say, wow, go be warm and be fed and you send him out hungry, is that love? And that is not. If you walk away from today and you're 
asking yourself the question, what, is, what was the message about? And I'll, I'll just make it very clear. God commands you, God commands me to love. We are without excuse. We can't escape it. Uh, it's nothing new. It's always been there. And it's exemplified in Jesus Christ, and, you've exp- and he's expressed it to you in your life. It is not something that has uh, been commanded only for a certain season of life or for those who are gifted or called accordingly. It is not simply a, a sentimental thought, but it has to be, it is something that we flesh out in real life. And I'm, I'm going to end my message with this. I'm going to ask the praise team, to, the band to come up at this time. If you walk away today and thinking, yeah, you know, I, okay, Pastor Steve, that's fine. I know that I need to love people. I need to love people who I dislike. I need to uh, love people who are, are you know, disgusting. I, I just, I don't find them attractive. I need to love people who are uh, in my peripheral, in the margins. I don't notice them. But if, if God places someone in, in my, my peripheral who is hungry in need and I have, even if I have to sacrifice to meet that need, Unless I do that, that's not, if, that's love. Okay, I know I need to do that now, more than ever. Although I've heard this many a times before, but if you go out there this week and you try, I'm going to tell you something. And it is true not only of you, but it's of me. If you try to love the unlovable, if you try to love people that you don't like and they don't like you, if you try to love people who are in your margins, you will fail. You will fail. And the reason being is that you don't have the capacity to love. You just don't. Some of you are, because of your personality, because of your fears, nicer to others, but it doesn't mean that's love. And I'm going to leave, this, leave you with this, and you're going to have to come back in two weeks because I'm going to give you the full answer to this, right? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, This is what Jesus says. Uh, This is what John says. We love, or the reason we can love, is because he, Jesus, first loved us. I'm going to say that you will not be able to love unless and until you drink of Jesus' love for you. And the longer and more deeper you walk and you drink of, you abide in the love of Jesus, the more you will be able to love in the way that the scripture tells us. So come back in two weeks and we'll talk more about that. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for the love that you have given to us that, we do, that which we do not deserve. And Lord, may we continue to drink of it, receive it, those who, of us who don't deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.